Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, podgo dot co. If you've experienced a loss in motivation, energy, or sex drive, or if you've noticed that you're a little softer around the middle than you used to be, it could be your testosterone levels have dropped. By the time men reach the age of 30, in most cases their T levels have started to decline and low T can lead to a loss of muscle mass, depression, lack of energy, and a low sex drive. The good news is you can remedy this with Test X9. This revolutionary new formula comprises nine clinically proven ingredients in measured amounts to naturally boost your body's testosterone production. This will maximize your performance and drive in a professionally developed supplement featuring magnesium activation technology. Experiences in strength, energy, and sex drive, as well as improved sleep and well-being. If you want to take it to the next level, you can maximize your results with the Ultimate Test Act, which combines Test X9 with T-Assist, an estrogen control and liver support blend to turbocharge your T-levels and leave you feeling like a new man. You'll be amazed what an effect raising your T-levels will do to your overall performance and well-being. Don't settle for average. Man up at LegacySupps.com and use the promo code POWERTRIP for an additional 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySupps.com using the promo code POWERTRIP for 10% off. Like I said, don't settle for average. Man up at LegacySupps.com. Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Jupiter CBD. Jupiter CBD was specifically created to help people naturally relieve stress and get a better night's sleep. It works better than the rest. What makes Jupiter so special is that it's the only CBD brand handmade from organic hemp flowers. That's what makes Jupiter so effective and tastes so great. Because flowers are the rarest and most valuable part of the plant. Jupiter also triple lab tests for quality and they all come from a single origin family in Vermont. For more on that, you can go to getjupiter.com slash quality. For a special promo, please go to getjupiter.com to get 10% off your offer today. Just use the promo code 2MAN at checkout. That is getjupiter.com. Use the promo code 2MAN, T-W-O-M-A-N, at checkout, and you'll receive a beautiful 10% off. Say goodbye to stress. Jupiter Organic CBD relaxes your mind and your body. Guaranteed results for your money back. Get Jupiter.com CBD. Use that promo code 2MAN. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking
and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP, John Paz, and with me today is a former three-time NWA World Tag Team Champion. He's a member of the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's got a new book out, Waking Up from the Wrestling Ring to the Yoga Mat. He is Brendan Higgins, a.k.a. Knuckles Nelson. Welcome to the two-man power trip. John, thanks for having me on. I've got to tell you, I've been doing some of these interviews with some non-wrestling people, and it's really great to be with someone like-minded. Nice, nice. I like to hear that. Yeah, you gotta, you got to be in with the, the wrestling crowd. You're, you know, you're an old-school veteran of the, of the ring, you know? No doubt about that. So what's been going on? Tell us a little bit about this new book you've got going on. Well, the book is called Waking Up. It's available on Amazon, and it's doing extremely well, and uh, I'm really happy with the response that I'm getting, and um, in 2018, I started writing the book after going through a lot of difficult times in life, death, uh, relationships that weren't working out, um, just a lot of things that were happening. And I decided to jump on my Holly Davidson and drive down to Shawsville, Virginia, and look up my childhood hero, Handsome Jimmy, the Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. And the book kind of took off from there. After I uh, spent some time with Boogie, we developed a close friendship. And uh, the book is really about my memoirs and goes way beyond wrestling that is cool so he basically you know, boogie woogie man he inspired you to write it there's a, a, a few different people that inspired me to write this book but he was he's right there on the top of the list i mean he was a stranger to me and um, like i said i was having a really difficult time in life and it was just something inside of me um i actually met him briefly at the new england pro wrestling hall of fame and he invited everyone there to come to Boogie's Wrestling Camp Hall of Fame and Museum in Shawsville, Virginia. And I took him up on it, and I drove down there. It was a 1,500-mile round-trip adventure that I went on, and um, I really didn't know if he was even going to talk to me, but we ended up developing a very close friendship that um, has carried on to this day. Did he know of you as far as, like, from in-ring? Did he recognize you or remember you at all? In all the years that I wrestled, he and I never crossed paths, and I think that I was a perfect stranger to him. He knows all about me now. And, and I think between his students and just other people that, you know, um, that he's talked to, but uh, at the time, no, he, he really didn't. So that's pretty interesting. And, you know, I know you're obviously a Boston guy. You're a Northeast guy. You were a big fan of the Boogie Woogie Man, or you were also a fan of uh, the Valiant Brothers. I would say it, it goes back to the late seventies and the Valiant Brothers. When I saw Handsome Jimmy and Luscious Johnny, I was just blown away by how cool they were when I was a kid. And, um, you know, I tuned in every every week to watch WWWF and um, between wrestling magazines and, um, you know, the, the weekly television programs. I, I couldn't wait for, uh, for it every Saturday morning. And the Valiant Brothers, Jimmy Valiant in, in particular, was head and shoulders above any athlete of any sport. You know, I, I loved a lot of the wrestlers from those times. But um, Jimmy Valiant was, um, you know, number one. He was my idol growing up. And, you know, obviously when he transformed into the Boogie Woogie Man, I continued to follow his career all the way up until the days I started wrestling. Now back to the book. Tell us just a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more in depth about the book. I know you kind of go into some trials and tribulations, but you do also talk about a lot of uh, your wrestling career and a lot of your past and kind of uh, some pretty cool stuff in there. Yeah, the, the, um, the, the way I ended up doing it was um, it, it just kind of poured out of me. I really didn't have any game plan. I have no prior writing experience. Um, I was actually with a mutual friend of ours, Jeff Katz, down in Virginia when I went. Oh, to, yeah. Yep. 
when I, I went to see Boogie, um, I ended up going uh, with Jeff and his oldest son, Harry. And when we went back to um, Richmond, I stayed a few days there. And we ended up going to the Virginia War Memorial, and we heard a gentleman by the name of Craig Rossi speak. And he, he had just written a book, and he's a veteran. And his book is nothing to do with wrestling, but it was uh, – he's a guy that he was a Marine in Afghanistan, and he – he had um, rescued a stray dog, and they smuggled it back to the United States, and it's a phenomenal story. And we were listening to him speak, and he was saying how he was just a Marine. He you know, really didn't have a lot of education, and he didn't think about writing a book until he did. And that's pretty much um, one of the other people that planted the seed for me to, to write the book. And I came back up home to Rhode Island, and I started writing. And um, I started the book from when I go on the trip down to meet uh, Handsome Jimmy, the boogie-woogie man, and then I go back in time and I revisit my time in the wrestling world. And, you know, that, there were some pretty cool stories that I was able to recall. I, I worked for the Boston bad boy, Tony Rumble, for a number of years up until his death. And um, just during the time in the Century Wrestling Alliance and the National Wrestling Alliance, um, it, was, it was a pretty cool, exciting time to, to be wrestling back then because we would be on shows for Tony and um, Kevin Sullivan would be in the locker room and Jim Cornette would be in the locker room and, and they would be like promoting people right on the spot to go up to the big time, myself included. And, um, you know, a lot of people had a lot of great opportunities just um, being on those shows. Tell us a little bit more about the Boston Bay Boy. I feel like, uh, not forgotten, but one of those guys that maybe doesn't get enough credit as he deserves because he was a big part of the scene for a very long time and helped launch a lot of careers. Well, you know, you're talking about a guy whose first professional wrestling match was against Bruiser Brody. His second professional wrestling match was against superstar Billy Graham. Um, his days in the ICW and being from New Jersey, I know you know all about that. The um, ICW also was very big up here in the Northeast. And Tony eventually branched off and opened his own office, the Century Wrestling Alliance. And a lot of the guys came up here and followed, followed him up here when he would run his shows, probably monthly, sometimes twice a month, but... It was usually monthly, and they were what were called sold shows, where Tony would um, sell these shows to Pop Warner Football, fire departments, whatever, you know, um, FOP, whatever it was, and they would sell the tickets, and we'd be wrestling, you know, on a normal independent back then. You'd be in front of 50 people if you were lucky. Next thing you know, we're in front of like 5,000 people in a banged-out stadiums and, and outdoor sh venues, and um, surrounded by, you know, WWF talent from, the, from, you know, guys that maybe had just come off TV, Atlas, Bundy, Tito Santana, Rick Martel, Demolition, those guys were all there. And Tony was like a master behind the scene. He was brilliant. He really was. And one thing I'll say about Tony Rumble was he was extremely fair. He, he really wasn't I, – I, I don't think anybody out there could say that Tony screwed them. He was just – he gave people opportunity. And me personally – I was like average at best when I look back on it now as far as athletic ability, my age. I had a lot of addiction problems, and Tony just kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, and he never, ever asked for one thing ever in return. That is great. And, man, the names that he would bring into some of the shows, you're right, like the Bundys of the world, uh, the Mortels, the Demolitions. It's pretty cool when you get to – see those guys live in person. I mean, it's different WWF-wise, but when they're at the indie shows, it's much more personal. You really you, know, you get to meet the guys, you get to take pictures. I mean, it's a really cool, different experience rather than just going to a quote-unquote WWF show or one of the big-time shows. So that's a pretty remarkable uh, set of characters that he brought in. Well, I can also add that 
you know, th- that was just a partial list I just ran down. There was oh, also yeah. Abdullah the Butcher, Taz, Tommy Dreamer, Kevin Sullivan, Vic Steamboat, a lot of the ICW guys. Um, what my first run as NWA Tag Team Champions was with uh, Eric Sprazier, and we feuded with Public Enemy while they were in WCW. Like, I don't know how this arrangement was worked out, but we had, um, you know, we, we wrestled them all over the country in, in, in those days, and we were getting opportunities to wrestle with top-notch wrestlers, um, like you said, on the independent scene, which was, um, it, it wasn't really very common, but there were, because most independent shows back then were not loaded with stars. It was, you know, local guys trying to trying to make it to the next level and move their way up through the independents. That is great. Obviously, you're a former NWA tag team champion, too. How does that all kind of come about? I know, obviously, with CWA, NWA was involved, and a little bit of NWA New England kind of mixed in there. So how does that happen? How do you become NWA tag team champion? Well, the CWA morphed into the NWA when Tony actually um, became the, you know, when when they were turning it back into all the different territories around um, the country, and uh, Tony had the NWA office and uh, I'm pretty sure the way it went down was he was going to be taking possession of the belts and it was up to him to find a, a worthy team and he put me and Eric Sprazier together. Eric Sprazier had been wrestling since the ICW days and he actually was a pretty good tag team wrestler with a guy named Phil Apollo um, back in the 80s and Eric was wrestling since he was 15 years old and I really didn't have a lot of tag team experience. I had minimal. T- I did have some independent tag team experience, but uh, we went. We got together, and we ended up going up to Kilikowski's school. And uh, Walter was um, very, very generous with us, and he trained us, um, t- taught us a lot more than we knew about tag team wrestling. And then that opened the door for us to go to Japan, and uh, we were over there back and forth quite a bit for a couple of years. And um, and so I think that's how it, it all happened with um I can also tell you on a side note that the NWA president at the time was Howard Brody, and Howard and Tony loved each other, but they had a love-hate relationship, and they were always at odds about um, you know, how things were supposed to be done. I think Tony would have liked to have been the NWA president himself. And, and one, while it's in my head, I can tell you that uh, the NWA New England champion, when I won the NWA New England championship, which was simultaneous with the NWA World Tag Team titles, I told Tony, we should start just calling the NWA New England championship the NWA championship and start this controversy where we'll be able to say we're the real NWA world champion and not Dan Severin, who it was at the time. And Tony loved the idea. And, and I think the, uh, the other NWA affiliates around the country did not love the idea, but it was awesome because we did it anyway. And, um, and hmm. you know, unfortunately, Tony passed away, but we, we were starting to recognize the NWA New England champion as the NWA champion, and we were even looking into getting a replica of the NWA World's title to, like, uh, really um, cause some shit. I like that, though. That's a good idea, good booking. You, you guys you know, make yourself sound bigger than you are, right? Well, that's exactly what we were doing, and it was um, that was a really fun time when that whole thing was happening because Tony died at a very young age. He was 42 years old. He had a heart attack. It totally shocked all of us when he passed away. I was out in California when he died, and I got a phone call. Back then, we didn't have cell phones back then. It was on a landline answering machine, and I was in the airport, and it just, like, devastated me because I, I, I couldn't really I, – I wasn't really, you know – I didn't see it coming, and, and – um, 
and, and then the, the landscape for independent wrestling in New England changed forever after that because everybody loved and wanted to work for Tony. And then after he passed away, everyone wanted to do their own thing, myself included. And there was like, now there's like five or six half-assed promotions that are popping up all over the place. And it never really compared to the big family that we were with, NWA New England. And I shouldn't say half-assed because a lot of the promotions um, turned out to be excellent promotions like Sheldon Goldberg's New England Championship Wrestling and um, a, a couple of other ones. I, I, I promoted for a few years myself and um, that, that was fun, but it was never the same after Tony died. Yeah, did you and Jeff Katz like try to you know, pick up the pieces and uh, keep it running? We did. We all did. We all were together with Tony's wife, who was absolutely devastated that you know, her, her um, soulmate you know, disappeared from the planet one day. And it was, um, I, I know the story that when they were in the hospital, when they took him to the hospital with a heart attack, the doctor came out and said, he's gone. And she said, where did he go? Like he went home or something. Like it was just that shocking to everyone yeah. that, that this happened. And um, we, Jeff had moved on to Las Vegas. He got a job in radio in Vegas and he had to leave the area. And then Tony's wife wanted to go in a different direction and had someone else. She, she wanted to have help her. And that's when I ended up doing, um, they didn't really want me to do it after a while. So I ended up opening my own um, wrestling promotion called Wrestling Star Wars. And I, I ran shows um, that was a tribute to world-class wrestling. And that was something that I did for um, about three years. And uh, it, it was good. It was, I ran in the same location in, in a town called Salisbury Beach, Massachusetts, right on the ocean. And um, we ran regularly. We did 102 weeks of TV. And it was, and it, it was good, for, you know, for the time that it was. But I'm I, I, repeating myself, but it was just never the same after Tony died. Yeah, I can believe it. And he, you're right, he was so damn young. I actually thought he was a little bit older. I didn't realize he was that young. Damn, I mean, that's just a total shocker. He was really young, John. Yeah, it's crazy. As far as kind of Japan, because you mentioned that, what promotion were you uh, working for? Or was it a, a several promotions in Japan? Well, when uh, the way I went to Japan in the first place was through Tony Rumble. And we, um, I was also doing, um, I was a jobber in WWF when they came to the Northeast and um, they didn't even call it enhancement talent back then, but the um, uh, there was a photographer at ringside, and you're going to know who he is right away when I say his name, who was uh, be, I became friendly with, and his name is Shun Yamaguchi. And mm-hmm. Shun, Shun is now a um, uh, one half of the Japanese broadcast team for WWE. And uh, back then, he's that was Wally Yamaguchi's brother. And uh, Shun called me up one day, and he said, uh, my brother's um, opening up his own office in Japan. Do you want to? Go and I was like, that's of course I want to go. And it was called World Pro Wrestling, and Wally handpicked talent from all over the world. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was guys that he liked, guys that he liked personally. We we got to go because um, Sean was recommending me and Eric and um, let's see who else was there. Derek Dukes, remember Derek Dukes from the AWA? And oh yes, of course, yeah. He was there, and Wild Bill Irwin was there, who. Um, I became very close friends with and, and uh, loved that guy. Um, and over the course of time, uh, there were also wrestlers from Australia and Korea and England that I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know who these guys were, but obviously we were very close friends by by the end of the day. It was mostly independent guys, but Barry Darso was there. Vic Grimes was there. There was, you know, there was a, but from what I understood, Wally handpicked the guys that he wanted to go and, um, and we uh, would, you know, get swooped up at the airport on a tour bus and 
taken from Tokyo all the way down to Fukuoka and all these cities and towns in between. Half the time, I didn't even know where I was. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Were you as yourself, or did you, were you playing like another character? No, I, I was uh, Knuckles Nelson, um, and me and Sprazier were there uh, defending the NWA titles, and I... I found that in Japan, the NWA had taken a big downward spiral in the 90s because WCW left and there was only, then that whole thing with ECW and there was really nothing. Um, the NWA was basically just a glorified independent. But when we went to Japan, we found that um, the name still had like, great respect. It was, it was really, um, it was really um, cool just to see the way we were treated and the way we were like, greeted at the airport. And it was, it, it was awesome, in fact. And, um, but I also... Uh, was a big mark when I was, like I said, for world-class wrestling. And I really, I told Wild Bill how much I loved uh, the Super Destroyers. And um, they let me wrestle as one of the Super Destroyers over there. He had his brother Scott's outfit costume with him um, when uh, he was over there. And different people were wrestling as Super Destroyers um, on this tour. And I got to do that for a while. And that was like a personal favorite to me. Like they knew I was like mocking out big for the Super Ds. And uh, I got to do that on some of the shows too. That's pretty damn cool. Uh, very, uh, you know, cool to kind of relive uh, the past, but also uh, bring it to uh, the future a little bit. You know, coming all, um, how do I say, it? coming full circle. There you go. Yeah, it, it was. As far as some other places, is that the only place you worked Japan, or you worked some other companies as well? No, I just went back and forth for Wally's group. So when you're doing that, and you're, you know, you're your touring and stuff. Are you also still doing the independence in the Northeast very consistently as well? I mean, it's just like double duty for you almost. You know, I don't really know what it's like today for an independent wrestler, but I was extremely busy back then on the independence scene. I can remember coming back from Japan and getting on a plane and going down to Dallas, Texas, and then going back to Kentucky and like, cause the NWA, we had the belt. So we were able to like get ourselves booked on all these different, smaller regional um, NWA territories, which they were trying to do back then. So, yeah, I was, I, and, you know, like I was, and I was missing shows when I'd go to Japan because obviously I wasn't going to pass up that opportunity. And, you know, we were always hoping that, you know, we, you know, maybe we would be able to move on to New Japan or something like that, but that never really, that never really uh, happened. So as you're kind of going along, you did mention WWF and you said jobber. I know some guys absolutely hate that term and, and they prefer enhancement talent or carpenter or something like that. Do you have any problem with that term? It seems like not. No, not at all. Like, first of all, when I look back on my time in wrestling, which was in the 1990s and early two thousands, I have nothing but fond memories of my time in wrestling. You know, when there's you know no heat, no hard feelings, no animosity towards anyone or anything. I was lucky to have been there in the first place. I was so fortunate to a, I was in the right place at the right time all the time, John. It just it just worked out that way for me. I remember being in WWF locker rooms and being just like, um, you know, just so grateful to be there. And I got to wrestle some of the biggest names in the world. I wrestled Razor Ramon the night after he won the Intercontinental title in White Plains, New York at the Westchester County Center. I had 16 matches under my belt. You know, it, it was just, um, it, it was just, you know, um, it, was, it was really cool. That is awesome. That just was, you said, like a little bit of luck, a little bit of happenstance. Like, how did that kind of go down? Well, I always thought I was more advanced than I was, and then I would find out the hard way that I wasn't. And the way I found that out was I went to the Providence Civic Center when the WWF made a stop in town, and I um, approached Tony Gurria, who was in charge of the 
extras, whatever you want to call them, jobbers, enhancement talent. The, um, the, 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 the way I saw it was they, they don't know about me. I have to go there. And that, that was the beginning of me telling a bunch of lies on, the, on this day. I, when I got to the back door of the Civic Center, which was, it was called at the time, I told the security guys that I was one of the wrestlers, and they let me right in. And I was like, wow, that was easy. I found Gurria. I told him I had been wrestling for five years. I had 16 matches. So that was a complete lie. I told them that I was trained by Paul Roma, which was another lie. And I, and I said that because I knew a bunch of Paul's students, and I thought that it might give me a better chance of getting in um, and my foot in the door by mentioning that. But it really didn't matter because Gurria told me to come to Weight Plains the next week. He, you know, it was like it was no big deal. It was he, for some reason, he um, was you know, willing to uh, put me in the ring, and, and he did. And, but after that match with Razor, like – Scott Hall was really cool to me. He was really, really nice before he totally annihilated me. I didn't even throw one punch. This match was so lopsided. I realized I needed to go back to the independents and get a lot more experience. But I just wasn't ready for that level of wrestling. Not too many people are um, with, you know, 16 matches under their belt. That's, you know, you're just not ready. And I certainly wasn't ready. Did he say anything to you, Scott Hall? About the match? Yeah, like, hey, you're green, or like, hey, I thought you were a little bit more experienced, or he didn't say anything, he just no, wailed on you. No, the match went fine. I mean, he was totally cool before, during, and after. There was nothing wrong with the match. The match was okay. Um, I didn't make any mistakes in it or anything like that. It was just, if, you know, if you watched it, you would, you would see, you know, a guy that's been wrestling for 20 years and is a, a completely well-seasoned veteran on his way to becoming a Hall of Famer against some guy that's got 16 matches. You know, I think Razor used to say, I heard him say one time in an interview, we were still doing squash matches, which meant we were like wrestling guys out of the audience. And that's kind of like what that was. I mean, I had 16 matches. I had That's nothing. You know, that was like absolutely nothing. And when I keep mentioning about, I said about, um, I said that Paul Roma trained me. I would like to mention, while I have an opportunity, and a shout-out to the guy that did train me. His name is Brutal Bob Evans, and Bob Evans is a consummate professional, still training wrestlers. He's trained wrestlers, yeah. yep. Mike Bennett, and a bunch of other people, and I was the first person that Bob ever trained, but at the time, Bob was a young kid. He, didn't have, he wasn't known at all, so um, I was um, you know, thinking that I needed to like, add a bigger name to the mix, but it's just so funny now because Bob's got a, you know, a great reputation in wrestling, and he's, he's also a very good friend of mine. Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is sponsored by Lucy. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. It's 2021. Get rid of the cigarettes, unplug the vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. Folks, this is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your house each month. So it's simple, and you don't have to leave the house because Lucy has delivery down. Two-man power trip of wrestling listeners. Go to lucy.co and use promo code POWERTRIP to get 20% off all products, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co and use promo code POWERTRIP at checkout. Also, I have to give you this disclaimer. Warning! This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So go to lucy.co and make sure to use that promo code POWERTRIP 
like my brother-in-law does. He really, really has switched from cigarettes to Lucy, so it is just an unbelievable thing for me to promote this stuff to you. One more time, lucy.co. Make sure to use the promo code POWERTRIP. Yeah, he's still doing his thing, and now he's got Wrestle Life, which he's trying to get off the ground. So, I mean, he's still uh, in it, in the thick of things, for sure. That is interesting. You must have said the right thing to Gria. You know what I mean? Like, in, in your head, you're not realizing it, but he must have been like, oh, Paul, well, Paul Roma trained you. Like, that somehow, you know, rung true to him, and he liked it. Yeah, I, I really I, – I couldn't speak for him, but I know that uh, um, he was um, – very, you know, he said, "Come to TV next week. Do you need directions on how to get there? And would you like tickets for the show tonight?" And that was it. And I was just like, "Wow, this was really easy." But that was before I got in the ring with Razor, and I realized, if the, you know what it was, I, I really didn't want that to be my role in wrestling. And it was six years until I went back to the WWF um, in any capacity at all. And but that was that was all my role was destined to be was to um, you know to, to be a an enhancement talent and. Um, but that's okay because looking back on it now, I was lucky to be there in the first place, and I was extremely, um, you know, happy when when I look back on the whole thing. It was just a great opportunity and a great chance to. A lot of kids growing up want to play. I'm from New England, so I have to say, want to play for the Red Sox or the Celtics or the Patriots. Not me. I wanted to be a professional wrestler, and I got to wrestle in the WWF and WCW and the NWA ring. You know, like I and, and won a, a world tag team titles on three different occasions. So. I, I walked away from it pretty happy. Who else did you wrestle while you were in WWF? I know it was many, many years of going there, basically, right? I mean, you, it seems like you were there for an extended period of time as you'd go in and out, in and out. Yeah, there, there were times when I would show up and I wouldn't even wrestle. I would just get paid not to just to be on call, and, and that used to drive me crazy because I wanted to be in the ring. But I wrestled, um, let's see, I wrestled the Headbangers a couple of times in tag matches and um, Hardcore Holly, um, Bossman, um, Ken Shamrock. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I had a, I, I had some matches there, but a lot of the time, way more times than not, uh, I would just be um, in the back, just getting paid to hang around. How does that kind of happen when you guys go there and become an extra? Obviously, you know, you don't really need to lie anymore about being trained by Roma and sneak in the back. So, how does that kind of come to fruition for you? Oh, I mentioned that we were going to these um, shows for Tony Rumble, and Kevin Sullivan and Jim Cornette would both be. I don't recall them being there at the same time, but Kevin would be there, and then the next time Cornette would be there, then Kevin would be there again. And I remember standing with Kevin Sullivan, and uh, Rick Fuller was in the ring, and Rick Fuller had just powerbombed this guy, almost powerbombed him through the mat. And Kevin looked at me and said, who's the big guy, Knuckles? And I said, that's Rick Fuller. And he ran right up to Tony, and he said, who's this kid? And, and next thing you know, Kevin's talking to Rick, and Rick's on Monday Night Show the next night, you know, or the next week, I mean. And um, that's how it happened back then. There was no performance center. There was nothing um, other than, you know, either you sent a tape into the office or you, um, or you were in that situation. And Jim Cornette, he liked me a lot because he, you know, he, he brought me into TV all the time, and, and uh, he was really cool to me. And, and I remember when I wrestled Boss Man, I was like, oh, he's going to, take it easy on me because I'm one of Cornette's guys, but uh, no, he didn't. He beat the shit out of me and handcuffed me to the ropes and clobbered me with the billy club. But the, um, but that's how we got into the, 
in, in, into those situations. And then once you're there once or twice, um, you know, WWF or WWE, they'll have seen enough to know if they want you to come back. And they kind of brought you back a lot. Really, I guess it depends on if they're in the area, right? I mean, it's probably like uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and, you know, obviously uh, mainly the Northeast, right? It was the Northeast. Uh, I remember going to as far away as Binghamton, New York, which was like a a nightmare. That was a really long ride. Um, Hartford, they were doing Hartford back then. I mentioned um, White Plains, Providence, Boston, wrestling in the Fleet Center when it was sold out. Uh, I remember we wrestled, me and a guy named Tim McNini, who was another WWF veteran who was trained by Kowalski. It was me and Tim McNini against the Dudleys in their first match ever in the WWF, and that was a really cool experience to wrestle in the Fleet Center when it was sold out when I'm a huge Celtics fan and I'm used to going to the games there, but there's seats all over the court now, and it's a whole different thing when, you know, there's just a little wrestling ring in the middle of the building. It's a whole different environment than any other sporting event, but that was, um, you know, those, those opportunities just kept coming up. I, I was doing something right to, to be getting asked back, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I don't even really know. Like, that's the best explanation I have for it. I just gave you Cornette and Sullivan being there, and those guys were, um, you know, they, they were picking the people like, I don't know if you remember Steve Bradley. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think who else, like um, Devin Storm, Ace Darling. Those were, I think, guys from down in your area, but they were on our shows all the time. Um, you know, I, I Kevin brought me down to WCW. I was on Monday Nitro and St. Patrick's Day in 1997 um, against the, the Giant and uh, Lex Luger in a tag match and, you know, it was all because of we were just in the right place at the right time. We were in the right independent locker rooms. It's funny. I remember that, like, so vividly. I think it was you and Tarantula, and I think somebody just recently was, like, posting either a video of it or or oh. a um, or, or either a video or a picture of it. But it was, I think it was on these WCW um, Twitter sites. They basically these Twitter handles are like obsessed with obscure WCW stuff and they'll just post. I was like, Oh my God, Nelson and T-Rantula. I think they put instead of Tarantula, but um, I, I know you and, and um, you and him lost obviously to Luger and the Giant, but it's awesome to be on Monday Nitro. Yeah. Monday Nitro was hot as, as could be at the time. And um, I remember that well myself because um, T-Rantula was having a discussion with the Giant about how, he needed more offense because he was almost the same size as him. And I was cringing at this. <laughs> it was like, you know, that you just don't want to say that. And, and the giant looked at him and he said, I'm not even going to sell anything for you. He said, I'm not going to sell anything that you, that you do in the ring. And, and I was just wanted him to just shut his mouth before, you know, while, quit while he was ahead. But uh, the match ended up being great. And I, you know, I had a, a disappointment in WCW where I was booked again, to go down there, and there was a snowstorm that that blanketed the Northeast, and I and I wasn't able to catch my flight out of that. And wrestling's like a locomotive that just keeps going, and if you get off of it, you know it, it'll keep going without you. And I got a lot of chances in WWF after that, but I mean I, I had I had nine lives in wrestling. I had more chances than I ever should have had, and was um you know very very lucky to have done any of it. Are you tired a lot? Frustrated that no matter what you do, you can't seem to keep your energy levels up during the day? The problem may be how you're sleeping. 
There's a difference between how long you sleep for and the quality of sleep that you're getting. If you want to increase your energy, performance, alertness, and productivity, stop reaching for the energy drinks and focus on quality REM sleep with Recovery PM. Poor quality sleep is directly linked to health problems like obesity, low testosterone levels, and high blood pressure. And worst of all, the World Health Organization has recognized sleep deprivation as a carcinogen. Not getting adequate enough sleep can definitely increase the risk of cancer. Did you know that 30% of people between the ages of 20 and 39 years old reported difficulty sleeping, but only 4% have tried an actual sleep aid? If you're finding yourself hitting a midday slump and using energy drinks to perk up during the day, you're only making things worse in the long run. Upgrade to Recovery PM and you'll be amazed how you feel. Recovery PM is now available at LegacySupps.com. Use the promo code POWERTRIP and you'll get 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySupps.com and use the promo code POWERTRIP to get 10% off that entire order. Do not sleep on your health. Damn, that stinks. You, we didn't come back. And when you were there, that's like WCW at the the hottest, you know, March of 1997. I mean, they were scorching hot. They were dominating WWF at that point. Well, again, I was like really nobody. I was, you know, at the lowest level coming in the door um, because Kevin Sullivan brought me down, and I'm in the line um, to get a uh, – at the, the uh, catering, and I'm getting something to eat, and I sit down at a table, and I hear a voice say, is anybody sitting here? And I said, no, and I look up, and it's Hogan, and he sat down and sat down, and then Anderson sat down next to him, and then Flair sat down, and I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. Like, this is like, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. And they, they, they treated me like, they treated me with respect. They were very nice to me. It was, you know, and I was no one. Like, it was a pretty cool thing, um, that, that whole WCW experience. Do you say anything to him, like, you know, ask him any questions or anything, or you just keep quiet? Well, Arn Anderson reached over, and he said, um, Arn Anderson, and I said, Knuckles Nelson, and he said, that's an outstanding fucking moniker, man. He told me he really liked my name, and that was kind of cool. So, um, But I, I learned early on to not run my mouth in wrestling locker rooms, so I, I kept pretty quiet. If, if, they, if they needed anything from me or they wanted me to do anything, I would be have been happy to do it, but, um, you know, I, I wasn't, I, let's put it this way. I wasn't saying to anybody, I need more offense. <laughs> yeah. You're there for one day. You know, at that point, you know, let's, uh, let's relax on the, on the offense. Yeah. Pretty ballsy though. Pretty gutsy of him to do it. Did he ever get booked by WCW again after that? I think he did. Yeah. I think he, he was down there for a while. I say he. It sounds very familiar. Right now, I'm, I'm such a WCW fan, uh, but I gotta, gotta, you know, get the old memory banks going and think about his his run there. But that's interesting that uh, they didn't just say, okay, we're not going to bring you back, we're not going to book you anymore. Well, there was um, uh, all those different shows they had going on down there, and I, I think that you know there was a lot of opportunity to go on a lot of, you know, a lot of the different shows. But um, but the, as far as me not going back there, I, I had a lot of problems with drugs and alcohol back then and I was not always reliable and it, it you know that definitely played a role I I missed that because of that snowstorm I missed another time in, in Orlando and uh, those were like shame on me moments in my wrestling career but there were some things I look back on and you haven't even asked me about this and this is going to come out of nowhere but I'm going to say that um I was very much wanting to get involved in ECW and um 
Paulie and Tony Rumble were not exactly what you would call good friends. And when I mentioned Tony Rumble's name, he kind of laughed me out of the door. And it was a blessing in disguise because if I had ever gotten involved in ECW, I would have done all that crazy stuff that was going on there and the drug culture that was going on there. I would have been, you know, I probably would have been one of those wrestlers found dead in a locker room. So, I mean, in a hotel room. So I'm uh, fortunate that that never, that, that uh, I have always looked at it back like it was probably a good thing that I never went to ECW. That's uh, pretty interesting, though. Uh, him and just Tony Rumpel didn't get along, and that's why he's not going to book you. He just doesn't care. It's, he doesn't like Tony. He's not going to book you. I I don't I can't say for sure if that was it, but when I mentioned, you know, I worked up here in the Northeast for Tony Rumble, they were actually in Massachusetts tonight. He just kind of snickered at the name, and he might have just been, like, thinking, you know, you know what, I've seen you wrestle and you suck. I don't know. I really don't know. Hmm. There's, there's, I really don't know the answer to that, but let's. I know a few of my friends that ended up going there, and um, he he wasn't even remotely interested, so it just wasn't meant to be. This episode of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling is sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about something we could all use more of right now. Yeah, that's right, sex, great sex. Guys, now you can increase your performance and get extra confidence in the bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com is the place to go. That's right. Blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. If you could benefit from more confidence, right where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. That's right. When you use the promo code EMPIRE, you pay just $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-2.com, the promo code EMPIRE, to try it for free. That's right, BlueChew.com. Use the promo code EMPIRE. Interesting. Yeah, that's a little curveball there. I wasn't even going to ask about ECW because I didn't think he worked there. Interesting. It could have happened, almost. I, I didn't, and I was I was extremely interested because if they had said to me, you see that lake, it's 100 feet, you're going to jump off of that and, you know, you know, land in a dumpster, I would have been like, okay, you think that's high enough? Should I go higher? Like, that's that's how I would have uh, approached it all. And, you know, I, I, I know a lot of the people in ECW or knew a lot of the people because a lot of them have passed away and a lot of them aren't doing so good right now. So um, I consider it like a, you know, blessing in disguise that I never went there because I, the peer pressure would have had me doing just about anything that they would have asked me to. Do you wish you would have been signed by WCW or WWF or were you kind of in a bad place at that point? Well, when I look back on it, I, you know, anyone that gets involved in wrestling, I honestly thought that I had a chance to become the world champion someday. And I think many people would say, um, if you don't think that, you shouldn't be doing this in the first place. But if I had had a different, if I had not had the alcohol and drug problems that I had and I had um, started when I was younger, um, it may have gone very differently. But, yeah, I would have loved to have been signed. But if I had been signed by WCW when they were throwing all that crazy money around, or even WWE when it was – in the late nineties when I was, you know, the attitude era that I would have been, that's where I would have been there. Um, I I just don't think it would have went well for me because of, 
of the way I was living my life. If I had been sober, and like I've been sober for over 20 years now, so, well, close to 20 years, I'm sorry, not over 20 years, but if I had, um, you know, been living my life like I do now, I may not have even been interested in wrestling. I don't really know, but I was so obsessed with wrestling my entire life. It was like way more important than any other sports, um, you know, that I played or, or, or followed. That um, you know, that's I guess that's just a big question mark for me, John. I'll, I'll never know. You mentioned Arn before, and him saying that's a great name. He loves Knuckles Nelson. Where does that name come from? Like, how did it? You know, you come about that name, and, and where did it kind of uh, emanate from? So in 1993, when I was just starting out on the independent scene, I wrestled under the name Tully McShane, the Irish Prince. And that name did not exactly set the wrestling world on fire. And um, back then, I had a very similar-looking face to Tully Blanchard and some of the people at the school. I mentioned Bob Evans. There was other guys there, Brian Breger and uh, Nick Steele, and these guys were um, all helping out with the training. Brian was the, the head trainer, actually, and um, they came up with this name, Tully McShane. I really didn't have any idea of a wrestling name. And um, when I went to my first show for Tony Rumble, um, he said to me, um, I want to put you under a mask and have you wrestle me. And if, you, if it goes well, we'll, um, we'll talk about you know, the future. And so it went well. And he called me the next day and he said, um, I can't stand the name. He said, I can't, like, yeah, I, I can't do anything with Tully McShane, but I have an idea for this wrestler that I think would be perfect for you. And he's a rough and tumble um, kind of street fighter from Reno, Nevada, and his name is Knuckles Nelson. And as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, really? And he said, yeah, what he said, you want to try that? And from that day on, I was Knuckles Nelson. Such a, I don't know, one of those things in wrestling, sometimes you're like, wow, it's a weird name, but it just sticks and people don't forget it. Is that kind of how you felt? It's like, man, it's a weird name, but damn it, it's going to stick. Well, when Tony started doing this, this whole deal with, he would be. He was my manager, and I was in the Brotherhood, and we would come to the ring, and he would put me in the ring with very established wrestlers, and the way the finish would always go would be, I obviously was not going to win against Tito Santana or Superfly Snooker or um, uh, Perry Saturn or whoever I was in the ring with, and he would slip me a pair of brass knuckles, and I would knock them out, and the crowd would be like really pissed that you know that that and i'd pin them tony atlas i was like pinning these guys when i was like nobody because tony was building me up to be one of his stars on his television and uh, i remember atlas being very against it he was like not interested in me pinning him and um neither was tito but tito was a little more cool about it and um you know so then Tony would explain to me after a couple of years of doing this, he said, you're one of these guys in wrestling. Everybody has heard of you. Everybody knows who you are. They might not know who you are, but they, they know the name. The name is out there now. And so, you know, that, that, that's kind of um, the best explanation I could give for that. And the Tully McShane, what is, what is McShane? Is it they just wanted you to be Irish? This, the, 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 the guys... Now, Brian Breger was another one of my trainers that you probably have never heard of, but do you remember when um, Papa Shango was doing the thing where he was doing all these voodoo spell things in the ring, and at one, one of the shows, um, the house lights went down, and when they came back on, the wrestler that he was fighting was knocked out in the ring and his boots were on fire? 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. You remember that? Very, very bad, yes. That was Brian. And Brian also did a lot of um, um, enhancement matches. He wrestled uh, Road Warriors, and I mean, he, he could tell you better than me, but he was on TV a lot. He was one of um, – there was a – it still is a group in the, the seacoast of Massachusetts called Yankee Pro Wrestling, and a lot of, a lot of guys that came out of there – went on to be in, in uh, WWF uh, enhancement talent. And um, Brian just looked over at me and said, tell him McShane. And I was like, okay. I really didn't have any idea of a wrestling name. I remember my mother saying, what's the matter with the name I gave you? And um, I, I just didn't know, uh, you know, I, I, and you know, I, clearly going back now, here we are in 2021, I was supposed to be Knuckles Nelson because, you know, that's, that's what it ended up being. Definitely stuck, though. I mean, uh, people will not forget that name. And I don't know. Wrestling is, is funny sometimes. It's like even like a guy like Dolph Ziggler, it's like, man, that is just an awful name. But somehow you just say as a fan, you just get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like you're talking about a guy that is like a, a you know, a huge star in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and he certainly made, made made that work. He made that work pretty well. Did you have like any thought in your head, like, oh man, this this like certain names or certain gimmicks, like, oh, this might kill me, or you didn't even think about it? You're just rolling with the punches and you're going to do whatever you're told. Oh yeah, I was going to do whatever I was told, but I remember being at TV one time and um, for WWF, and uh, uh, I forget who told me, but somebody told me you're going to wrestle China tonight, and you're going to do a job for China, and I went and called Tony Rumble and I said, and he said, tell him you want ten thousand dollars. And I said, what? I, what, are you kidding me? He said, you're going to be, it'll ruin you. If you wrestle her and you lose, that'll be it for you. And it didn't happen, though. I don't even know why it didn't happen, but I remember that phone call very distinctly. Like, I got to go tell him, I got to go, I'm going to supposed to go ask for 10 grand now. I probably wouldn't have done it. I probably would have done it for the regular pay, which was, I think, $250, and, um, because it just wasn't my style to, like, make demands at a WWF TV taping. I'm actually glad that it never happened, by the way. Was he kidding or serious? He was dead serious. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, dropping her at that point, she she beat Jeff Jarrett and, and Chris Jericho. You know what I mean? Like, so that all that, came later. That all came later. After. Oh, okay. I okay. May, it may I might have been the first guy she was going to wrestle. It, it could have been. I think I don't think she had wrestled any men yet. So there was no intercontinental title run or anything like that at this point. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. I was around her when uh, she first started out up at Kowalski School. You know, like, like I, I knew her from before she was China. Were you familiar with Triple H around that point too? Triple H had already come and gone. He was down in WCW when I was starting to get myself in, in my foot in the door. But um, you know, like we, I, I was not a Kowalski guy, but I was a Kowalski cousin, is what they call us. Like I was there. Um, a lot. Walter let me train up there um, with with all the you know his guys, and um, so when you went to TV, Hunter knew who was who. Hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, he he knew who was from New England, who was you know just just like right now. I think it's I personally think it's phenomenal that he's in the position that he is, and Matt Bloom runs the performance center. Those that's Kowalski. Killer Kowalski is like smiling down on that situation. All the uh, New England boys, yeah. Yeah, like his philosophy is running the show 
and these up-and-coming kids that are coming up to the performance center because Matt Bloom is killer Kowalski trained and is, is Kowalski through and through. Very cool, yeah. That's uh, that's awesome. Didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's a big-time Kowalski or New England uh, connection down there in the uh, PC in Orlando. But with China, did you say anything at all? Like you didn't want to do the match, or or they came back and you said the match wasn't happening, and they put somebody yeah. else in the match. There was never. There was. It just never happened. There was never any. Um, at one point, I don't even remember who said. One of the agents said something to me if I had a problem with it, and I said no, of course not. And then I went and, like I said, we didn't have cell phones. I went and found a payphone and probably had like a little credit card that you used to buy with minutes on it and, and called Tony and, and, and that's how that'll happen. But no, I would have done it. I know, I know I would have, but they scrapped it. It just didn't happen. What did you think about China? Just in general, you think that maybe she shouldn't have been a wrestler, should have been a ballet, or did you like the fact that she's becoming a wrestler she's going to wrestle men? I mean, she's, to me, she's Hall of Famer. She's, you know, from the Northeast where I'm from. She's, you know, um, I I can't imagine, I can't think of anyone that I would consider more of an all-time great as a, a, a female wrestler than China. And um, and then, you know, she was a trailblazer. Then now she's wrestling men and defeating them and winning men's titles. It's like, how you know, how could she not be in the Hall of Fame? That is weird. That is very, very strange that she wasn't in it earlier and then isn't in it now. I don't know. Sometimes you never know what that Hall of Fame It's like on a whim, whatever he's thinking that day. <laughs> or like, oh, uh, you know, like, um, hey, Coco Beware. Not that he's not worthy, but it's like Coco Beware gets in, but then Rick Rude waits 10 years. It's, I don't, it's very strange, the thought process there. Oh, yeah. What you just said is a perfect analogy of it, and especially the way you said, not to say anything bad about this person that's in, to me, the person that should be in the Hall of Fame that isn't, that boggles my mind, is Adrian Adonis, because if you go back before the pre-adorable Adrian stuff, he was one, he, he's another one that was ahead of his time. That guy was a phenomenal wrestler, and you know, I look at some of the people that go in, and I'm like, but Adrian Adonis isn't in, but I guess you could get an argument for 10 other people that aren't in. Man, King Kong Bundy's not in it, which is just insane. It's, uh, it's very, very weird. I know he had a problem with Vince, I guess, at one point, but it's just crazy that some of these guys uh, aren't in. And I was talking to Dominic Danucci that long ago, and I was like, man, they like skipped so many guys from his generation and was just like, ah, it didn't exist, and like completely forget about those guys. Like, How are those guys not in the Hall of Fame? It's a well, weird thing. Well, then they, they, they have that legacy division right like i mean yeah yep. Bex calhoun is in the legacy division i mean if he's not a hall of fame and i wasn't aware of the fact that chris that king kong bundy was not in the hall of fame because uh, how how in the world could that you know vince is the is the absolute master at dropping heat look at the people that he had heat with that ended up in his ring you know like eric bischoff or whoever like that i doubt that's why i mean that's hopefully they'll put him in i mean bundy I wrestled on a lot of shows with King Kong Bundy, and I remember ESPN was doing a special, I think it was called Between the Lines. It was a television show they used to do, and they came to one of our shows, and they were exposing the business like crazy back then and, like, letting it all out. And me and Bundy were the only two in the locker room that wouldn't do it. I wouldn't talk to them, and Bundy wouldn't talk to them, and Jim Cornette wouldn't talk to them. And he was like, that's right. Now, looking back on it, I was like, what an idiot. I should have talked to him. I would have been on ESPN. You know, but I, I – <laughs> To this day, I don't want to I, – I, it's just I, – I just come from a different era. I just wouldn't want to – Jim Cornette used to say, just because a magician 
you know his tricks are tricks, it doesn't mean he's going to show you how to do them. And, but, you know, it's, it was exposed at a much higher level than me. So, I mean, there's, I, I guess I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I was very close with Bundy. We were buddies for, for a while. He told me that any time that he had talked to Vince, like later on, even when he came back in the mid-90s, he would constantly bring up the fact that he did this sponsorship for a computer company uh, in basically in the late 80s. And he, you know, Bundy got all the money and Vince didn't get any of the money. So Vince would slyly always mention it to him. So it's weird. It's like he had a long memory, but you're right. Sometimes like, you know, Bischoff's of the world, the guys you never think would be working with him. Even Hogan, they had a big blow up and Hogan came back a few times. So he will work with the guy, but it's just so weird with, uh, with Bundy. And he said he was such a wisest. He would always mention those, that computer thing. Like, Hey, where's my, my cut pal. And like stuff like that, like sarcastically. That's a great story, John. I love that. That's a good one. I have a King Kong Bundy story. Um, there, there was an event, um, called the Hot Dog Safari. Eddie, Eddie Andelman was a uh, sports, uh, sports radio guy up here in Boston, very, very famous, very well-known, and he had a, uh, a um, charity event called the Hot Dog Safari. It was held at Suffolk Downs in, in uh, Massachusetts, and um, he would bring, we would, have, we would wrestle there. It was awesome. There would be, be wrestling in front of like 10,000 people outdoors at this thing, and then me and Eric Sprazier were in the ring with the NWA belts, um, letting fans take pictures with the belts and charging them for it. I always felt like it was panhandling. You know, we're in there making whatever, to, and we're making money hand over fist here. And all of a sudden, you can see the crowd moving, and the crowd is like it's like a sea of people, and it's just moving, 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 and it's Bundy coming closer, and he's getting closer, and he gets in the ring, and he walks over to me, and he goes, get the F out of the ring. He goes, I just want to wet my beak. I don't want all the money, but I need something here. And so me and Eric the ring so so Bundy could wet his beak. <laughs> it's funny people think like he's like such a you know mean guy or whatever, just as like his gimmick or maybe sometimes a little bit of a work where he might act like it. But man, he was such a a nice guy and such a sweetheart. I don't think a lot of people realize that though. No, he, that, that's the word I would use. He was a sweet man. I remember my first time meeting him. I was trying to get myself in the door with Tony Rumble, and I walked in the locker room, and there was a bunch of very famous wrestlers in there. And when I got to Bundy, uh, he looked up at me and he said, hey, kid, how's it going? I'm Chris. Yep, very humble. Very humble kid. Very, very humble guy. Not, sure. not like, uh, not like um, I'm King Kong Bundy or, or Big League in me or anything like that. He just said, hey, hey, I'm Chris. How's it going? It was, it was pretty cool. Man, yeah, I've been to signings where I brought him in, and yeah, he'd see like a homeless couple or something, and he'd give them food and give them extra money. He was always very, very giving and stuff. And he always would make sure he said, "Hey, did you make enough money on this?" And then I'm like, "Yeah, we did pretty good." And he'd like give me a little bit extra, you know, or something. It'd be like, "Hey, you know, here you go. Here's this." Or, "Ah, you know, since you drove, here's a little bit extra." It was always super courteous, super nice. And there was this three pack of figures. I think it was him, uh, Sheik, and Volkov or something. And he goes, and he had a couple of them. So he goes, oh, how much is this thing worth? And I looked it up. I was like, oh, it's like $90. And he goes, here, you can have it. <laughs> he just gave it to me. I was like, I just said it's $90. And he goes, now you can have it. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, it's just really, really nice. Yeah, says a lot about him. Yeah. Now, as we hit the wind down button, head towards the finish, just curious because you've wrestled literally all over the place. You wrestled numerous 
quote unquote superstars. And you know, you've been even wrestling a lot of the guys that I used to love, like you mentioned before, a Starling and Devin storm and guys like that. I just, always had an affinity, especially from going to the New Jersey independent scenes in the 90s and 2000s. Just love those guys. But who's some of your favorite matches or some of your favorite opponents through your, your career? Well, one night I, I got a phone call from Killer Kowalski, and he said that uh, he had Brian Lee booked for a match at the Marshfield State Fair, which was a big, huge fair in Massachusetts, and he needed an opponent for Two Cold Scorpio. And I showed up. Uh, he told me to come down, and I went down, and uh, we tore the place down, man. Um, we were Total Strangers, and the match was just phenomenal. Uh, I would put that as one of my favorite matches. I would also say uh, Steve Bradley, who I mentioned earlier. I wrestled him probably 20 times, and and I just tried to keep up with that kid. He was just so impressive. Another person that I wrestled for, uh, I wrestled several times, uh, was uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's younger brother, Vic Steamboat. And he, you know, know, it was like being Michael Jordan's little brother trying to play basketball. You know, he was – he was a great wrestler, Vic Steamboat, and he taught me so much in the ring. Uh, Perry Saturn was another person that I enjoyed being in the ring with. Um, you know, that's a pretty good list right there of um, people that uh, I would consider my my favorite opponents. Man, what a list. That's, uh, that's great. Now, you retired, right, in the early 2000s. Why retire at the point that you did? Well, I, I had a... Um, a wrestling school. I uh, had a weekly television show. I had a at the school. I was able to put about a thousand people in the building, and I was able to um, uh, run, you know, uh, live events to uh, to go along with the TV show in the school. And I was after wrestling a very unoriginal idea to do all this stuff, but I, I made it work for a few years. But it was starting to become a grind, and I was also dealing with some addiction problems and um it was just time and it was time for me to walk away from it and i um closed i closed down my uh, school and i sold my ring and um in a matter of days after that i was uh um, facing my uh addiction problems and i um got sober and uh have managed to stay sober until this day that is great and that's amazing as far as kind of that addiction problem do you kind of connected to the wrestling business and traveling and trying to, you know, avoid injuries and, or maybe even ignore injuries. Is that kind of what led you to it? No, it was in place long before I got into wrestling. It was something that it was longstanding with me. Do you think the business kind of added to it just because you're, you know, you're on the road so much, uh, you could be injured or, you know, maybe could even be boredom on the road or do you think wrestling kind of added to it at all or no? Um, it, it fueled it. It, 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 yes, it added to it. It was a way to, um, ignore it and keep living that way, especially if you find yourself in situations where other people are in the same situation. Um, and wrestling itself became an addiction to me too. It was something that I, you know, um, it, it was a glaring that I was not going to get signed to a contract. And instead of walking away from it, I, I stayed involved and, um, you know, bought a ring and, and opened a school. And, you know, like I, I, it, it was not, um, it was not, you know, towards the end, it just wasn't fun anymore. Do you have any regrets in the wrestling business? Not a one. I really don't be, be um, nothing. There's nothing that I regret. I, I was even able to, um, there were a lot of people that 
got caught in my crosshairs over the years when I was in wrestling and people that I owed apologies to. And in the last couple of years, I've managed to make amends to every single one of them. And, and people that I never thought would, you know, even want to talk to me again, I consider close friends and where, um, you know, so like a regret, I, no, not a one. Any injuries that you've kind of sustained in the business? I mean, there's probably a lot and yoga is probably helping you, uh, fight through those injuries. Yeah, I was I was very fortunate. I never had any serious injuries during my time in the ring, and and um, like the book says, from the wrestling ring to the yoga mat, um, I practice yoga regularly, and it it definitely has helped me stay. And um, I'm in better shape now than I was when I was wrestling. I'm more flexible, and um, and so thanks to yoga, I'm uh, in Rhode Island Power Yoga where I practice. Um, I'm injury free. How did you get into yoga? It's so interesting. I know Diamond Dallas Page, everyone kind of associates him with yoga and as far as like wrestling guys in yoga, but how did you kind of get involved with that? Yeah, well, as far as DDP and his whole deal, it's phenomenal. I recently watched the movie Relentless, and it was just like, you know, I was wiping tears away. Me and my girlfriend Charlotte were watching it together, and I was wiping, we were just blown away by how great it is. I don't have... I've never done DDP yoga. I've never, I don't, I don't even know DDP, but I would say we may have some similar experiences in what yoga has done for us personally as far as just practicing it. And I found that um, I had a 30-year run in the gym, uh, running and all this stuff, and I was beat up from that too. And um, a new yoga studio opened up in the town where I was living, and I went and checked it out, and it turned out to be um, the best thing I ever did because I, I've been practicing, that was in 2014, I've been practicing ever since, and, um, you know, I, I couldn't imagine my life without it now. Just interesting to me that, like, wow, like, yoga, wrestling, yoga, wrestling, <laughs> like, it's, you don't see the connection, but it could be very helpful. Like you said, you're in the best shape of your life. Imagine if you did this back when you were wrestling, it could have been, a, you know, a help. Well, I think you find a lot of the kids that are involved in, in wrestling and the ones that know DDP, I'm pretty sure a lot of them are, are giving it a, a real serious look and practicing yoga as opposed to, um, you know, trying to uh, bench press 500 pounds like I was trying to do. I feel like a lot of the guys either out of wrestling trying to stay in shape or in wrestling trying to stay in wrestling, AJ Styles, Chris Jericho, guys like that always praise doing DDP yoga. And obviously Scott Hall and Jake St. Roberts praise DDP yoga after the business is over. And even Mark Merrow, Johnny B. Bad's always uh, promoting it. So it's definitely good for wrestling for sure. Oh, definitely. It's, it's good for anyone from any walk of life. Now, when people say Knuckles Nelson, they look back at your career and even looking at the book, what do you think is like the stamp? What, what's kind of the legacy of you as a wrestler? An independent wrestler who got to do some things above and beyond the independent level and also was able to um, conquer a lot of his personal demons and able to make amends to everyone that he could and uh, hopefully would say um, is a good man. As far as the book, give us one last push for waking up from the wrestling ring to the yoga mat and tell us where we can get it. Well, the book is available on Amazon. It's about my personal journey in life after wrestling to 
just uh, find some answers to some longstanding questions that I have. It led me to a very um, close friendship with handsome Jimmy Valiant. It also led me to travel to Australia to meet my favorite rock band and my favorite singer from my favorite rock band, Electric Mary, and the singer's name is Rusty Brown, and I went on tour with them over there. And these were all things that happened to me along the path in, in addition to finding yoga, in addition to, to just finding some answers about um, some uh, personal questions I had in life and, you know, how do you know you're making the right decisions in life? And, you know, how do you know they're the right decisions? And, um, and I found the answers. And um, the book has a very happy, romantic ending, and it's all true. It's a, a true story, and it's, um, I'm getting really great uh, feedback from it. And um, if you want to hear some raw truths about a former wrestler and where life took him after wrestling, then I think you'll enjoy this book. Good stuff. As far as you yourself, do you have social media and stuff, like uh, anything you want to plug to get out there? I know you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Uh, there is a waking up page on Facebook. There's a waking up page on Amazon, and um, and people can find me there. Good stuff. And I implore everybody to get waking up from the wrestling ring to the yoga mat. Brandon Higgins, a.k.a. Knuckles Nelson, thank you so much for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com two-man power trip where the power lies brother <laughs>